Now am I going? Hey, hey! We have a slick program here, man. Smooth. Oh, I just must have gotten so lost in the worship. I, I was really getting... Wasn't that, that, that was anointed. And I, I just totally forgot that I'm supposed to have a microphone on uh, when I get up here. So, how y'all doing this morning? You look wonderful. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodland Hills Church. I hope uh, this last week... Uh, if you heard the message from last week, I hope that throughout this week you were applying some of that. We like to think of this uh, weekend service sometimes as a seminar. We do a teaching, and then we, have, we give assignments. And we put those uh, with some study guides up on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Um, and so last week I gave an assignment to spend time every day, a couple times, to stop and for one minute just notice all the goodness in your life. However many glitches there are in your life, and they can be some severe, but uh, just notice the good stuff, what you have to be thankful for, and spend a moment giving thanks to God for that. Just stop and, and thank God and, and cultivate what we talked about last week, this attitude of gratitude, this thankfulness that overflows, uh, is supposed to overflow in our life. Because behind every good thing in our life is the goodness of God. And we need to give him thanks for that. And when you do that, that is, I submit to you, one of the best, if not the best, antidotes to negativity and, and depression. And I'm not saying it's a cure-all and all of a sudden everything, you know, you'll live happily ever after. No, you still have tough times, but nothing changes your perspective like just giving thanks. Giving thanks. Just uh, swimming upstream. In, in a culture where we increasingly complain about glitchy things, uh, just be a person of thanks, giving thanks. Uh, if it was not for the goodness of God there 24-7, we would be in deep doo-doo. Uh, thankfully, God's always there. He's always good all the time, amen? He's always working on the side of good as goodness pops through in this fallen creation. We're going to uh, now move on to verses 9 through 12 of chapter 1 in the book of Colossians, which we're uh, studying in this season of our existence. We're going to be talking about a topic that is absolutely so foundational to the Christian life, and yet it's it's surrounded with uh, just tons of confusion. And what I'm talking about is the will of God. How do you know the will of God? How do you discern the will of God? How do you walk in the will of God? I, I think we're going to entitle this sermon, uh, this sermon series. This will, we'll probably spend two or three weeks on uh, this, this topic. So we're going to call it God's Will Hunting. Because we're hunting for God's will. Oh, pretty clever. I thought of that. <laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time. This is like... Uh, one of the top three. I just, goodwill hunting? Yeah, God's will hunting. And this particular message, I want to uh, title God on Retainer. Uh, it wasn't titled that last night, but it came to me this morning. So uh, that's why it's always good to go to all three of my messages because each one of them is a little bit different. <laughs> Sometimes I get a revelation just in one, and by the next one I forget. So, you know, just it's kind of a, kind of a crapshoot, but hopefully you always have something to take away. God on retainer. Here's, here's the, the, the issue. Uh, we, to, to be a follower of Jesus is not, not to believe in some salvation that, you know, so that you don't go to hell. Like, a lot of people think that's salvation. Uh, you get your get out of hell for free card. 
And it involves that, but it's way, way more than that. Salvation is about entering into the wholeness and the life of God. It's about coming into the kingdom of God, right? The dome over which God is king. And to come into the dome over which God is king means that you've submitted to the king. You come under the king's lordship. That's what it means. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it is to be a Christian. The the word Christian, Christ-like, Jesus follower, has no meaning except to the extent that we give it meaning day by day by how we submit to the will of God, the will of, of, of of our king. But see, all that presupposes that you know what the will of God is. How do you submit to something that you don't know? And so this this concept of the will of God is absolutely central to the whole concept of living in the kingdom. We can't live in the kingdom unless we know the will of God. And yet there is, as I said, so much confusion and so many issues that surround this. Uh, What does it look like to discern the will of God in our day-to-day life? How do we do that? Are we supposed to discern the will of God on everything? Everything from what house you buy to what car you buy to what pants you buy or to what socks you wear in the morning. Are you supposed to do that? How do you know the will of God? How do you distinguish the will of God from your feelings? That's especially important because I bet most of us know people who were very sincere in thinking that they were doing the will of God, but really what they were doing is following their own feelings. At least we're pretty sure that that wasn't the will of God. I have no doubt that the people who drove planes into skyscrapers and commit other terrorist acts When they say Allah Akbar, they are really sincere. I'm thinking they're really misguided. But they're sincere about it. So if sincere people can be wrong about discerning the will of God, how how can we ever know that we're right? Is it all just subjective? Some of us have known some people who have done some very bizarre, damaging, painful things in the name of following the will of God. The lady I knew a number of years ago who uh, was married to a man for about a year um, and then decided that God told her to divorce him Uh, Not because there was any uh, abuse or infidelity or anything. She just didn't like the guy very much. Uh, And she all of a sudden became, it was in fact revealed to her, she said that she was supposed to marry this other guy back in high school. And uh, uh, that was God's will for them to get married. But then they started getting sexually active and that screwed up the frequencies. They didn't hear God right. They started to fight with one another because they allowed the devil to get in there and that's why they split up. But now they're going to get the program back on track. So she divorces her husband to go back to him. He divorces his wife to go back to her. And they bring one child into this. And they claim that that was God's will. I don't think so. I, I really, I've got many reasons for thinking they were mistaken. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. How do you know the will of God? And then there are a lot of people who just say, Okay, I can read the Bible, but I don't know the will of God from day to day, moment to moment. I give up. I'm just going to, hey, I'll just do my own thing. But see, the Bible says that we're to hear his voice. We're to be the sheep. The sheep hear his voice and follow his voice. How do we know the will of God? How do we follow the will of God? It's absolutely foundational to living in the kingdom. So we're going to spend two or three weeks on God's will hunting. Hunting for God's will, discerning God's will. And it may go longer than that, who knows? All right. What I want to do this, this morning is, uh, is, is this. I want to read this passage, three verses here. It's actually all one uh, uh, verse, one, one sentence in the Greek. It's a very long, convoluted sentence. Uh, and, and I want us to get the whole picture. I'm going to read the whole thing at one time, three verses. And then I'm going to read it again. How exciting. But when I read it again, I'll, then I'll sprinkle in some comments just to break it down. And then I'm going to end by bringing the, the main point home. Uh, reiterating what the main point of this is. Um, just to kind of lay the foundation for this series that is coming here. Pray with me here before I start. Father, if our uh, profession of faith in Jesus Christ means anything, it means 
We are a people who strive to be submitted to you and to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, make that real to us here today. For everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through podcasts, television. Lord, I just pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would be cultivating the soil so that the seed of your word would find an uh, open, uh, receptive ground and start to bear fruit and change us. Wake us up, Lord, to the ways in which we the ways to which we just instinctively, habitually, intuitively reject your will to do our own will. Wake us up and turn us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, Paul says, since the day we heard about you, from Epaphras, uh, he heard about their faith, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. Wow. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving thanks, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. What a passage. We are going to spend a few weeks on that one. That's just, that's good. Okay, let's read it again. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. Now, Paul's got to be using a little bit of hyperbole here, uh, exaggeratory language, because I'm sure he did a few things other than pray for them since the the, the day he heard about their faith. He prayed for other churches, I bet. He went to the bathroom once in a while, maybe even ate a little bit. So he's using a a, a hyperbolic language, which the Bible uses a lot. We've got to take that into consideration. If you take everything very, very literally, you're going to go come to some bizarre conclusions. But he's just saying, he's emphasizing in a real kind of urgent way that that he's been just always praying, interceding on behalf of the Colossians. There is a sense of urgency here. We've not stopped. Soon as we heard about your faith, we've been praying for this. He's going to be talking about the will of God. Let's let them know the will of God. This is a matter of urgency. And then he says, we continually ask God, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We continually do this, Paul is saying. Uh, There's again this matter of urgency. Paul is just pressing in. And Paul's team is pressing in on behalf of the Colossian Christians that that revelation of God's will will happen to them. Something very important is going on here. And then Paul says, we ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. Uh, In in Paul's uh, view, the, the, the believer is to be packed with, filled with, overflowing with the knowledge of God's will. To the core of our being, we're to be consumed with the knowledge of God's will. We'll come back to that point in a little bit. And then Paul says, we ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. God's the only one can do it. He, he, he asked God to do the supernatural work. You can read the Bible and it's good to do and study the Bible and that's good to do and learn how to parse every Greek verb and that's wonderful and learn the biblical backgrounds and all the biblical customs and, 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 and all of that. And that's wonderful good stuff. Necessary if you're going to be a teacher and a leader in uh, the, the kingdom. But all the studying in the world, all the human wisdom in the world is not going to give you this. This is something that only God can give. It's, 
It's not just an intellectual knowledge of his will. It, it's the biblical concept of no is experiential, something that goes to the core of your being. We pray that you'd be filled, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. It's a God revelation kind of a thing. It doesn't come from human wisdom. To have this deep, deep, profound sense that pervades your being about what the will of God is. And the reason he's doing this, Paul says, is so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We'll spend a little more time on, on this verse. That so that, it states the ultimate goal. This is the ultimate goal. The reason why Paul is praying that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will is so that, here's the cash value, here's where the rubber hits the road, so that they will live a life that's worthy of the Lord and pleases Him in every way. It's not to gain some kind of curious intellectual knowledge, some curious esoteric insight. Some people get off on that stuff. It's not so that you can now understand the book of Revelation and correlate it to today's newspaper. No, it's, it's about a practical life transforming thing. So your life will now be different. And the life that, he's, that, that will result from our being filled with the knowledge of God's will. That life will be one that is worthy of the Lord. Now the word there is axios, worthy. The word means, we get the word axiom or axiomatic from it. And it literally means to correspond to, to be fitting to, to be reflective of. So we find in Romans 16, for example, Paul says to the Romans, I ask that you receive Phoebe, who was this deaconess in the early church, receive Phoebe in the Lord in a way worthy, that's the word axios, worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. Paul's simply saying, uh, receive her in a way that's worthy of a, of a people who have been saved by grace, who know hospitality, who are filled with the love of God. You are filled with the love of God? Well, then receive her that way. Reflect your true nature by the way that you receive Phoebe. That's what the word worthy means. To be reflective of. Reflect the true nature of something. Worthy, and this is the main point I want us to see here in this verse. Worthy does not mean deserving of. Like you make yourself worthy of something. When Paul says walk worthy of the Lord, he's not saying walk in a way that you make it so that uh, you deserved Jesus' sacrifice, or that you earned Jesus' sacrifice, or that you make it worth his while, that he got a good deal on this one, as though you have to pay him back something. Now, some of us who come from certain church traditions uh, maybe can, can relate to this. Uh, I've heard sermons where, that are along these lines. Uh, after all he did for me, um, then I, I owe him my all, which, which is the truth to that. But then we use language like, uh, it will take eternity to pay him back for what he did for me. Uh, I owe it to him to live this way out of gratitude for what he's done for me. Uh, it, it's a, I, 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 I need to live up to the calling of what he's done for me. And there's, there's some truth to that kind of language. But what can happen is that there's a sense of, because of what he did, it's kind of a quid pro quo deal now. He dies for us, and now we have to live our life paying it back. Which means it really wasn't a gift. It was a deal. I don't know if you've seen the movie Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. It's one of the most violent movies I've ever seen, but it's very realistic uh, about the horrors of war. And it's, it's, it's a good story. About 10 years ago, it uh, came out. And the gist of it is that there's this, this, this private whose three brothers have already been killed in the war. So the army wants to go find this guy. He's behind enemy lines in Germany. Uh, and he's played by, by Matt Damon. And uh, uh, Tom Hanks leads a crew of people that's on an assignment to go find him. 
and to bring him home because the military doesn't want the, the, the fourth and final son of this mother to be killed. And to make a long story short, and sorry to, sorry to ruin the show for you uh, if you haven't seen it yet, but, but uh, a number of people die, four or five of these guys die in the process of finding Private Ryan. And then there's this final scene where there's bombs going off and there's battles going off. And Tom Hanks, who plays the leader of the crew that's looking for uh, Matt, Matt Damon, private, who's out playing Private Ryan, he gets, he gets hit and he's dying. And in his last breath, he grabs he, uh, uh, Private Ryan and he says to him with his last breath, Earn this. Earn this. And see, that, that would be a curse. That, that, I, I, as far as I'm you just curse the guy. In fact, you know, at the end of the movie, he, the, you have Private Ryan by the, this grave, and, and, uh, and he's talking to the Tom Hanks character who's buried under the grave, and he's crying. He seems very sad. And who wouldn't be? And he says, I've tried to live a good life. And he goes, okay, he's looking for his wife. Did I do okay? You know, I, did, I, did I earn this? But see, there's no way you can live and earn five people dying for you. I don't care how good your life is. You can't pay that back. But the very thought that you're supposed to, man, that could just suck the freedom and joy out of your life. Some things you can't earn. It's, a, it's an albatross around your neck. See, Jesus doesn't die on the cross and then say, earn this. Make yourself worthy of this. You can't earn this. You can't make yourself worthy of this. And God doesn't want you to try to earn this. Why? Because it's a gift. It's the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ does, uh, uh, gives to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a credit card program where we get charged ahead of time and then we got to pay it back with our good deeds. No, it's 100% pure gift. The love of God is pure gift. The grace of God is pure gift. The mercy of God is pure gift. No strings attached. No repayment plan. It's all gift. Amen. All gift. I hate gifts that have strings attached. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, the slimy. You know... Oh, they can just be so manipulative. Oh, here, enjoy this. Should be nice if you called more often. <laughs> you know, ask that we call more often, but don't associate it with a gift. You just slimed it. You know, it's just not... Or the little strings. Or as soon as we get in this stupid game around Christmas where it's like, oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah, they got me a $40 present last year, and I only got a 20 so that means I, I got to get a 40 And it's like we're trying to pay back the gift. And we get in this competition. And there's all sorts of principalities and powers out there that are enjoying this because we play off each other because we just keep on getting caught up in this rat mill of consumerism trying to, you know, keep on paying back the gift that we got the year before. So this kind of quid pro quo deal that gets out of control. A gift that has got strings attached to it is not a gift. But the gift of Jesus Christ is pure gift. Now let me say this. To receive that gift, to receive this gift, this free, merciful gift of Jesus Christ and eternal life, You've got to have hands that will, are open to receiving it, which means we've got to let go of everything else. Okay, so to be in a position to receive this, we've got to say yes. That means we've got to let go of... If he's going to be master, we have to let go of our self-master. If he's going to be Lord, we've got to let go of our own lordship. But that's not a matter of paying for something or earning something or buying something. That's just what it means to let go of one master and grab hold of another master. That's what it means to let go of one thing to grab hold of a gift. If I've got a... Uh, arms full of wood, and you come along and say, hey, here's a gift, you want it? Well, if I'm going to grab the gift, i got to put down the wood. I mean, that's, I'm not saying, here, I'll earn the gift by putting down the wood. No, what it means to grab hold of the gift is I put down the wood. So also, to receive the gift, of it's absolutely free, but it costs us everything. 
Because we've got to put down everything else. This word axios means simply that we live in congruity with or are reflective of the true nature of who we are in Christ. Um, God wants to fill us with the, the, the knowledge of his will so that we live in a way that reflects his character. So that we live in a way that, that is axiomatic, axios, that is axiomatic, given who we are. The, the knowledge of God's will is, is about, about our identity in Christ. And then the, how to live, out a way, you know, live that out in a way that's reflective of our true nature in Christ. You are redeemed, so by the wisdom of God, live redeemed. You're a child of God, and so be filled with the wisdom of God and, and live in a way that you know that you're a child of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, so get the wisdom of God and live in a way where you are reflective of the truth that you can do all things through the wisdom of God. It, won't mean, it will mean that you're no longer going to be living as the victim that you are now. That's not the wisdom of God. That's the, the demonic wisdom you got maybe from your, for your upbringing or, or, or from the abuse that you had. No, but to be filled with the wisdom of God is to push that demonic wisdom out, and now you walk in a way where you reflect the truth that you're a child of God and are forgiven and are redeemed and are sanctified. The wisdom of God is about knowing who you are and knowing how to live that out in a way that's incongruity, incongruity that is reflective of your true nature. And when we live in congruity with our true nature, here's what it looks like. And then Paul spends the rest of these verses just kind of giving a paint stroke uh, uh, look at, at uh, what does it look like to live in congruity with your true nature, to live in a way worthy of the Lord that pleases the Lord. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. Yep, if you're living in congruity with God, you'll be bearing fruit in every good work. As you're filled with the wisdom of God, you'll grow in the knowledge of God. As you're filled with the wisdom of God, you'll be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, which means you're not going to be as reliant on your own power, doing your life on your own efforts, with your own striving. No, to, to, to be filled with the wisdom of God is to learn how to, how to lean on Him more. His omnipotent power is within you, and we learn to yield uh, to Him more. To be filled with the wisdom of God, therefore, is to be growing in, and, and acquiring great patience, and, 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 and great endurance. Remember, he's talking to folks here that are living in the Roman Empire and it's becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians. They may be facing persecution and uh, being fed to lions and set on fire. Uh, and so now endurance and, and, and persecution and, and patience really mean something. It's not just putting up with a grumpy neighbor. No, this is, this is, uh, this is a quality you have when you're being delivered over to the powers that be and, maybe, and may lose your life. And then... To be filled with the wisdom of God means you live with joyful thanks. You're giving thanks, as we talked about last week. There's a heart that begins to just see God's good hand behind every good thing. And so you're overflowing with thanksgiving. Because he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. Ah, axios, axiomatic. Know who you are and live in a way that's reflective of that. It's axiomatic. Since you are this way, live that way. The wisdom of God is all about that. The main point of this passage, then, is this. Paul is saying that he's praying, urgently praying, continually praying, ceaselessly praying, that the Colossian Christians, now that they're surrendered to, to Jesus Christ, will be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that, so that they, all these things will happen, so that their life will begin to reflect the truth of who they are in Christ. And they'll bear witness to a different kind of a kingdom in this world. That means, then, that the purpose of knowing God's will, the purpose of being filled with God's will is not, first and foremost, about what we're supposed to do. It's first and foremost about who we are. Amen. We often think, usually think, 
that we go to the, seek God's will when, it has, when, when there's, there's an, uh, options on the table. Should I do this, this, or this? But see, as it comes out in this passage, the main purpose for knowing the will of God, being filled with the knowledge of God's will, is to be a certain kind of person. To be filled with his knowledge and therefore to be transformed by his character. Paul is praying that we would be consumed with the will of God and the will of God would consume us so that whatever we choose, wherever we go, whoever we decide to marry, whatever car we decide to buy, and God can have direction on that. I'm not saying God doesn't give us direction. We'll talk about that in the weeks to happen. But see, uh, the, the main point is that whatever you do, wherever you go, to be a certain kind of person, and the person we're called to be is the one that we are in Christ Jesus, the one that we are in truth. And as we're filled with the wisdom of God, we begin to see that and understand that it begins to permeate our very being, and we begin to live that out. And, and that to God is, is the, the, the most important thing. If we get that one down, we get clear on who we are, well, then all the particular decisions are going to start to take care of themselves. Yeah. But if we're walking around with this old character... Uh, then, then, then you, can, you can be set up in the exact right position, but you're still not going to be carrying out the will of God because our fundamental core identity is not in line with who we are in Christ. To be consumed by the will of God. Filled, packed to the core of our being. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, and this is just something we've got to get honest with. You know, the older I get, the more I'm finding I don't have... I, I, I never realized how many... Uh, how many subtle lies I tell myself. Uh, and I, the less I have time for that, I just want honesty. Honesty. It, 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 otherwise, this is all worthless. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, and Holy Spirit help us to be honest, is this. Do we want that? Do we want that? To be consumed with the will of God, filled with the will of God. To be filled with the will of God, the knowledge of God's will means that there's nothing else competing with it. Otherwise, you're not filled with it. Do I really want that? Honestly, I am not sure. There's a part of me that does and a part of me that doesn't. I think a lot of the time what I want is, is a little knowledge of God's will. I don't want to be filled with it. I, I like a little knowledge of God's will. I, I like His will to supplement my will. But I'm not sure I want to be consumed with His will. See, I think what often happens is we want a little of God's will, but we want to stay in the center. We want to stay in the center place. And so that means that, that we, 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 we seek God's will to further our will. And we want God's will on our terms. We're the center here. We invite him in to get, give us some advice now and then. This is God on retainer, if you will. That's what we want. Uh, no, don't come and take over the whole place, but will you be there on retainer? Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, God the consultant. When, I, you know, when I'm doing my will, I might come to some snags. Can I give you a call? Uh, or, you know, there's some, some things I'm just not sure on. Oh, what, you know, as it was, I was doing really good up till now. Now I'm not sure. Uh, should I get this house or that house? God, uh, are you there as a consultant? Can I call you on retainer? Uh, Lord, I ran into a snag with my marriage. God, I'm kind of confused about my kids. God, I lost my job. You know, here are the three options. <laughs> here are the three options. Which one do you think is best? Uh, between these four cars, what do you think? Uh, between this church and that church, what do you think, God? You know, give me your advice. And God is so gracious and merciful. You know what? He, he'll, he'll stoop to that level. He want, he, he'll, he'll take an in wherever we give him an in. But see, his goal is not just to be our consultant. He doesn't want to be on retainer. He wants to move in and, frankly, take over the whole thing. 
He wants to recenter us so that now his will is at the center and, and we're out here, okay? We're more on retainer. And he's saying, okay, here, I want you to now go in this direction and go in that direction. We want a God who's on retainer to be our financial advisor when we're having trouble with finances or our child advisor when we're having trouble with our children or maybe our drug counselor when we're trying to get out of drugs and we found we can't do it on our own or our housing advisor when we're buying a house. And those are bad questions. God wants to weigh in on stuff. Uh, we'll talk about that in the future. Those are okay questions, but they're not the most important question. The most important question is who is in the center? Amen. He wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will, which means we've got to empty ourselves of our own will. You know, this, this really takes us down, to, it gets us to the core, the core of, of what in the Bible is portrayed as the rebellion. This is, this is who we are, human beings. We, we're, we don't want to be consumed with God's will. If you look at Genesis 3, which is the first story of our rebellion against God, it's all about us declaring our autonomy. We want to be independent. We want to choose our own destiny. We want to go our own way. We eat from the tree of knowledge because we want to define what's good for ourselves, what's best for ourselves. Why should we be submitting to this God and, and trust him? No, we'll define for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And we'll define it for everybody else. So now we get to be judged. Why, should, why does God get to have all the fun judging people? No, we want to have that, that right. And, and, and so we define it, things on our own. We go our own way. We steer our own course. We're the captain of our own ship. It's the essence of the fall. We don't want God's will in the center. Oh, we want independence. We define ourselves over and against God rather than in relationship with God. It's the essence of the fall. And those of us who are hearing this message in an American context have got to know that, that we have this on steroids. Yes. This independence. Whoa, we love our independence. Woo, we love our freedom. Woo, we love our rights. Never has there been a culture in the world that has taken this core kind of rebellion and made it into the, the ultimate virtues. We, 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 we love, and we just got to know this. Because we got we to ask the question, do we really want this? And let's look at some of the implications of it. Just to have all the cards on the table. Do we really want it? We're conditioned to live for the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursuit of happiness. That's our right. We get to do that. I get to choose my destiny. I get to choose who my leaders are. I have the right to bear arms. I got these rights here, and I will defend them, and I'll stand up for them. We love our freedom. We love our independence. It's, it's the core of our identity. Do we really want this? We, we in America, it's, it's to be consumed by the will of God. People pledge their allegiance to this independence, and we die for this independence, and we kill for this independence. Patrick Henry, one of our founding fathers, just before the Revolutionary War with Britain, uh, said, give me liberty or give me death. We love our freedom. It's, I, I submit to you pretty much a national religion, the religion of independence and the religion of freedom. And the fact that it gets all wrapped up with Christian language doesn't change the fact. It, it's it's, it's, it's uh, the ultimate values. At least that's the conditioning. We love our liberty. But see, here's the thing. Patrick Henry may say, give me liberty or give me death, which implies threaten my liberty and I give you death. But Jesus says, if you want true liberty, you've got to die. Amen. If you want true liberty, you've got to die. Do you want this? If you want true liberty, then that old self, that self in Adam and Eve, has got to die. That old self that wants to do your own thing, call your own shots, live by your own rights, that self has got to go. That's why Jesus said, you're going to take up the cross if you follow me. This isn't a cute little metaphor. He's saying, you've got to die. That old way of doing life, with you at the center, you at the helm, driving this thing, that's got to, to die. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two. To, to be in the kingdom of God means God is, is master. 
The old self has got to die. That Lord of my own self has got to die. If you're ever going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, we've got to be emptied of our own will, which means that old self has got to die. Do we want this? The good news is that if we're willing to do that, and at least move in that direction, if we're willing to do that, you will find a kind of freedom that, that the world could never give you, a kind of freedom that, well, there's, it's, it's, it's true freedom. It is true liberty. Yeah. See, the freedom of the gospel, and, and this, it, this is true freedom, the freedom of the gospel, the freedom that being uh, under the reign of Jesus Christ gives us, it's not a freedom to vote or to choose our own destiny or to carry guns or to choose your sexual activity or whatever. Those may be wonderful political rights, but that's not the freedom that the gospel promises. The freedom that the gospel promises is a freedom from the need to get life from those things. Freedom from the need to cling to your life. Freedom from the need to cling to your rights. Freedom from the need to kill and, and, and die. Freedom from the need to try to uh, have your identity rooted in uh, what particular nation you're in or what rights you're defending or anything of the sort. The freedom that the gospel brings is a freedom to be under the love of God, defined by the love of God, uh, known by the grace of God, filled with the knowledge of God's will. In fact, the freedom that the gospel brings is a freedom that Paul's talking about in the three verses that we're studying here this morning. It's the freedom to know who you are. It's the freedom to have the wisdom of God to know who you are. And the freedom to have the wisdom of God to live out axiomatically what that looks like. It's the freedom to live according to His glorious might. That's free. Where you're no longer relying on your own might, your own know-how, and your own strength, striving to make things happen. It's the freedom from having the need to get life from anything in this world because all of your life is given to you from Jesus Christ. It's the freedom to have great endurance and great patience even when you're being persecuted. It's the freedom to be overflowing with thanksgiving. In all situations, because you see the goodness of God all around you. That is true freedom. Yes, and no one can take it from you, and no one can give it to you. Government can't give you that kind of freedom. Laws can't give you that kind of freedom. All the military victories in the world can't give you yes. that kind of freedom. Guns can't give you that kind of freedom. Only Jesus Christ can give you that kind of freedom. And is given to us. Yes. And it's free, no strings attached. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Yes, that's freedom. It's total freedom. You can die physically, be facing physical death and feel free because it's, like, it's got no hold on you. You are free. That's the freedom of the gospel. And that's what happens, but it only happens to the degree that we let go of this to grab hold of that. Here's the gift. It's free, but we've got to let go of our clinging to ourselves to receive it. Uh, right, the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to lead us in a little prayer here, but Right now, it makes a tremendous amount of difference what your picture of God is. We always come back to this. It's the most important thing. If in any part of your brain, you've got uh, a sort of image of God as this tyrant or a despot. When we think of king, sometimes people think of King Henry or this kind of despotic king, uh, uh, autocratic, crushing king. Or maybe you, you think of God as sort of a Zeus figure holding a thunderbolt. And he's up there saying, submit to me or I crush you. And see, for some of us who've come out of strongly authoritarian backgrounds where maybe authority was used to crush us, depersonalize us, devalue us, maybe abuse us, then all the language about submit or crucify yourself, you feel it as nothing but loss. So there's the mighty God up there saying, submit or else, you unholy maggot, I should drop you in the fire right now. And we're like, okay, you know. And see, then, then, then it, that's not the kind of submission he's talking about. We, we need to remember here, the one who's inviting us and in, in, in commanding us to submit, 
He's the one who gave his life for us. The one who is calling on us to submit to him and to make him center is the one who came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to be fully alive. He wants us to be full persons. He wants us to be standing up for ourselves in healthy ways. He's not here to crush you. He's here to liberate you. The one who calls us to to submit is the one who wants us to be truly free and he knows that this is the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. To surrender all and make him center. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, we're surrendering ourselves to the one who is the embodiment, the perfect, the perfect embodiment of love. We're surrendering ourselves to love. And he's the perfect embodiment of God's joy and the perfect embodiment of God's peace. We're surrendering ourselves to joy and peace. One point, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in you. Come into the kingdom of peace. Very few people that I know would be afraid of peace ruling in your heart. I know peace is always trying to get its way in my heart. I want my conflict and anxiety back. No, no, no. You know, let Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Let him rule in our heart. That's about emptying ourselves that we might be full of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The movement of God I find in my life always involves a threefoldness, and I'm going to do this right now. I'd like you to kind of shut your eyes and... I'm going to lead us in a, in, a, in a threefold prayer here. Every movement towards God involves confession, repentance, and request. Confession is simply saying what is true. What is true? And you confess sin. Repentance is where you're turned from that sin. And you say, I'm going to head down a different track. Lord, help me to go in a different direction. And request is where we do what Paul did here. We say, Father, fill us. Fill us with the knowledge of your will. So first of all, confession. Spend a moment. Let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind areas where you've been Lord of your own life. Haven't invited God in. Maybe you've been intentionally pushing God out. Maybe you just have it. You just go your own way. Let God reveal that to you. Not to shame you, but just to see what is real. And then confess it. Father, I confess. repentance seeing the ways some of the ways that we've lived life on our own Lord of our own life making our own decisions we say Lord help me to turn I commit to turning and starting now this moment living a life that's at least open to your will seeking your will and just turn doesn't mean you have a lot of emotion about it repentance doesn't mean tears and crying it just means a decision to turn that there's somebody here who doesn't want to turn and yet you want to be submitted to to Jesus. Maybe now you see the contradiction here. But just be honest with that. Make that part of your confession. Lord, I I know I need to turn. I don't want to. I'm I'm afraid or whatever it is. And then to say, Lord, help me to turn. Help help me to want to turn. Wherever you're at, invite his grace
final thing is request. Ask the Father to fill us. I'm going to end with that prayer. As I do, I want to invite the prayer teams up here, and if there's any need that you have uh, that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to, to do that. Um, come up here if you want to just pray on your own. If God's dealing with you and you're revealing something to you, just sit for a little bit. Just sit and soak it in. Don't rush the things of God. Father, we ask, as Paul did, we pray, as Paul did, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will so that we may walk lives that are worthy of your character, reflective of your character, axiomatic, giving your character. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. Only you can do it. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will by your grace and by your mercy. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will and and empty us of our own will to, to be a truly freed people who live in ways where your world is being done on earth as it is in heaven and being done in our families as it is in heaven and in our neighborhoods and our businesses. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will that we could bear fruit in every good work and be a people who live with overflowing thanksgiving and have great patience and great endurance and learn how to live relying on your glorious might rather than our own striving. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will as we leave this place. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and build a kingdom.